time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Happy New Year, listeners, and welcome to our first episode of 2017. This week, we're taking a journey through space with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence in Passengers. The film has received pretty harsh criticism after being praised and hyped prior to its release. This provides us a great opportunity to discuss expectations and how they affect a viewing experience, one of our favorite topics. We also want to invite you to stick around until the end of this episode because we have a couple of big announcements regarding our future schedule that we think you'll be excited about, whether you're a long-time listener or just a first-time visitor. But Patrick, how you doing? Yes, um, I'm good, man. Happy New Year. It's good to be here Happy once again. Happy New Year to you, too. I, I, I feel like sometimes with my intros, it's it's like I got to remember, oh, yeah, there's there's another guy here. Um, yeah, it's not it's not the, it's not the Aaron monologues. It, it's feeling film. <laughs> that wouldn't be very fun. That would not be very fun. But man, I I am ready to go. I'm really anxious to talk about this movie with you. And but before that, you know, like always, I kind of want to hear about what you've been up to. We've we've been on this holiday break. We've had like a week and a half since we've recorded, which is crazy. It feels like. Yeah. Um. So what have you been doing, man? Well, uh, Christmas obviously happened, and with Christmas comes a lot of a. Uh hang time with the family. Uh, my, my job gives me the opportunity to take off the week between Christmas and New Year's. So I've had a lot of time to just spend with the family, get things done, catch up, do some purging of things because that's what you do during the, uh, during the holiday season. You get more stuff that kind of forces you to say, I need to get rid of more stuff. And, um, so part of, uh, part of our Christmas, um, I received several lovely gifts. And one of those things I got was a book that I'd actually forgotten was on my wish list. <laughs> um, and it's it's a book that um, I think I remember hearing about on NPR. There are just random times that I'm listening to NPR. And uh, usually when I do either there's a, it's because there's an interesting topic that's being talked about. And with those interesting topics, somebody recommends something like a new music or a new book or something like that. And there's a, um, so if you, if you grew up in the eighties and nineties, you were probably, if not a fan of, uh, at least uh, aware of a show called saved by the bell. It was a, uh, it was a key point in my childhood TV viewing. I was a big fan of Zach and Kelly and Slater and all those guys. And the, uh, the executive producer was a guy named Peter Engel. And he put out a book about a year ago, I think, called I Was Saved by the Bell. And it's subtitled Stories of Life, Love, and Dreams That Do Come True. And when I heard about this book, I was immediately gravitated towards it because, you know, I love reading about TV shows and movies and the backstory behind them and how things came to be. And so I picked this up. And what I found out was that Yes, it's about that. It's about the history of the show, but it's really about the history of the man. And I haven't even gotten to the part where he starts this show. It's, and it's 
fascinating to me because I feel like this guy's living the life of Forrest Gump in, other, in a way in that it's hard to believe that he's come in contact with the people that he's come in contact with. It's a first-person narrative, and he is, he has, his, his job and the history of kind of how he grew up and how he got connected to people, he's worked with Paul Newman, he's worked with Bette Midler, He's worked with Orson Welles. I mean, he has worked with John F. Kennedy. He has, I mean, and and so now I'm just through like the 70s. I think he's just come to what I think is a faith of some kind. He's had this kind of encounter with God uh, on uh, after going through this kind of drug-induced bender and trying to clean himself up and again I'm, I'm in the middle of this portion so i can't really give full kind of this is what's going on but the book itself is just fascinating because i didn't expect to get this part of this guy's life i didn't expect to get all this stuff leading up to it i thought this was going to be a book about say by the bell and how he came up with this great show but it's it's about his life and how he fell in love with producing how he fell in love with the desire to see projects come to fruition and take on these passions of his and the frustration and the failures that came along with that. And it's just, it's, it's amazing, man. I can't put it down. Um, in between when I'm hanging out with, with my wife and when I'm playing with my son, I'm kind of reading a couple of pages here and there. And, uh, probably when we finish our, our episode tonight, I'll, uh, I'll, finish up a couple of chapters and stuff, but it's just really good. And I am so glad that, um, that, that, uh, this was given to me because I'm having a great time with it. That's really cool. And, and very unique, like out of the box. So I definitely wasn't expecting you to, to bring something up like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, although Shot surprise, <laughs> although, you know, like that specifically, but, um, you are a person who likes to read, things in the, of this nature that are a little bit more random. It, it's almost sounds like this is a documentary in book form. It's a doc. You know, <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. It's just like a documentary. <laughs> so, um, we need to, the day we, that I start my own documentary podcast is the day that I might, you know, have fulfilled an, an, an unknown dream of mine. Apparently, <laughs> you know, we can, uh, we can make something happen with that. We keep talking about it, but we need to, uh, we need to drop some mini sods on a documentary here and there. <laughs> 2017's a new year, man. Yeah, it is. We can, we, we can do it. Scratch your itch, but, <laughs> um, I, I guess I love the title of the book being I was saved by the bell because really, you know, like you, when I, when I saw this in our show notes, I thought, you know, this was going to be a book about the creation of the show and the show um, mm-hmm. like you, but in reality, it's just kind of like a play on the title of the show and how it was a major influence on his entire life. Not necessarily it and, and it's specifically, but it was affecting for him. Yes, it was. It was his first hit. Well, his first like long running hit. He's had term- more, right? He's had. I feel like his name. He's very. I feel like he's been prolific. Well, he's, been, he's been in tons of stuff. Okay. He's been he's been part of a ton of things, and has worked with people who have gone on to do like these infamous things. Um, and so he's sort of like the guy behind the guy, and he's done like he worked on JFK's um, you know campaign indirectly as as a student motivator got to meet the guy and um he he went on to produce uh last comic standing i don't know if you're familiar with that show oh yeah absolutely and, one of our local uh, celebrities 
has been on okay. that. Jeff Dye. So, so he's one of the EPs on that show. But you know, I, I'm I'm anxious to get into the Saved by the Bell portion because he opens the book up by talking about how he literally laid on the floor, um, in front of the studio exec's office and said, "You've got to give me, you know, a full season of this show." because it will not be successful if I don't get these. And that's how he kind of opens up the whole book. And then he goes into saying it all started with a kid and a, in a television, you know? And, um, but it just, the, the unexpectedness of it is, is what I'm really enthralled with and just how I expected, you know, I, I was excited to get one thing and I'm getting something else even before I get to that thing that I'm hopefully going to, to get to in the next, you know, 30 or 40 pages. Very, very cool. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, man. So what about you? What have you been up to? Well, it has been Christmas break, so I've done a whole lot of stuff, and I'm not going to even begin to try and tick everything off the list here and and cover it. But I'll hit a highlight, and one of the the highlights was seeing Assassin... Actually, I'll talk about in general. We did a double feature. So one of our listeners, uh, his name is Ryan, he and I uh, are both divorced dads, and we both happened to have our kids on Christmas Eve this year. And so we were going to be by our lonesomes on Christmas Day. Worked out great. So we talked about it and decided we were going to do a double feature in the theater. And we kicked it off that morning by seeing Assassin's Creed. Uh, despite the horrible reviews, we had both been very interested in the subject matter, having played the video games and you know, liking the actors involved. We figured... It's Christmas Day, and um, later that day we were going to end up seeing Fences. So we figured we wanted to do a, a little bit of a different genre. We, we knew Fences was going to be pretty heavy, and so we wanted to start the morning with something more actiony and a little less heady in most ways. So we went into Assassin's Creed with very, very, very low expectations, something that we're going to talk about a little bit later in this show uh, regarding the movie we're covering today. But... I got to say from about the first or second frame in, I was a hundred percent hooked. I remember just this big smile coming over my face and I looked at Ryan and I just kind of shook my head in disbelief. Like I'm really enjoying this silently. I was telling him that and he looked at me and we just kind of made eye contact. Like he was saying the same thing. And it was, it was just this weird realization like, hey, this is supposed to be awful, right? Isn't this supposed to be bad? Because I really like what I'm seeing right now. And I watched the whole movie with that framework in my head. And, um, I, you know, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It made me want to rush home and play one of the games, which I did uh, immediately. That's a sign of a good video game movie to me. Uh, something that can harken back to the, the subject matter of the video game itself and make you want to go revisit it because you had such a good experience with the movie. I thought it was probably the best video game movie adaptation we've had, to be honest, uh, as far as faithfulness goes. The action in it is outstanding and some of the best action we've seen all year long of any blockbuster film at all. Uh, it, it was just really, really good and entertaining. Uh, and I, I had a great time with it. And so... I've, you know, of course, had some fun arguments online after that about <laughs> with people who disagreed with me, uh, including one big argument with someone who hadn't even seen the movie who just was judging it by the trailer, which was a, a an interesting conversation because, you know, I, I have this belief that you really can't comment on a film 
uh, you can't comment on whether a film is good or bad based on a trailer you've seen mm. uh, when someone else is commenting based on having actually seen that film. Uh, because when you do that, you're just, you're, it's a, a trailer is such a manipulative thing. Um, and it's meant to do a certain or evoke certain thoughts or certain emotions from you that the rest of the film may or may not actually go through with. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. It was, uh, it was a great experience though. Just Assassin's Creed was awesome. Uh, later that day we ended up, we did see fences and I won't go into too much detail. I will just say if you've heard about fences and you've heard, this is a movie that is directed by Denzel Washington, starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. It, they two of them were in the stage play production of this story on a it's a play by August Wilson, I believe his name is, and v- big 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 hit. Um, the movie is incredibly powerful. It's one of the most powerful films I've ever seen. It is it is an acting masterclass as far as the two performances go. Just completely stellar. Every frame, everything they they do in this movie is gripping. Um, it it does drag a little at times, and I think that it suffers somewhat from being filmed in a manner that is very much like a stage play. You feel like you're watching a stage play, and you know you go into a movie, you're kind of expecting something a little more cinematic in nature, mm-hmm. and you don't get that at this at all in this film. And that was a drawback for me, but uh, from a story and performances standpoint, it is top notch and one of the year's best. So that was my Christmas day, and it was it was a good one. Good man, it sounds like it. Um, both of those I want to see, and uh, with the um, just with scheduling and stuff like that, obviously they'll have to wait until the uh, the home video aspect, uh, the home video. Uh, version comes out, but I'm anxious to put those on the list and uh, get them um, get them viewed at some point. Yeah, I, I hope you do. Um, especially Fences, more so than Assassin's Creed, at least sooner because it's gonna be it's gonna get some Oscar buzz here. Real yeah, shortly. it'll be interesting to to you know when you mentioned that it it feels like it was you know you're watching the stage play on a on the big screen. I'm anxious to see if that actually changes a person's perspective if they watch it at home, like on a television to see if, if that viewing experience actually changes things. That's a great point. I mean, I, I watched it in a nice theater with recliners and it was a negative. I mean, it, it's not the movie's fault necessarily in that part of it, but it was just way too easy to be bored <laughs> at certain, <laughs> at certain parts, parts of this film. And that sounds like I'm, I'm knocking the movie because it's, it's boring, but it, you know, it's just, it's drama is drama and stage play drama is really dramatic when nothing else is happening. There's no background soundtrack. Like it's just people talking and then big Mm -hmm. silences and no one moving, uh, just a camera turning around in a circle at times. And so it, it can be really hard to keep your attention. It's a pretty long running time too. So, yeah, but yeah, anyway, I'm really, (laughs) I'm really excited for you to, uh, check that one out. I think it's something that you will really enjoy and there's a lot of great life lessons in it particularly its depiction of uh, a wife and a woman who experiences some challenges in dealing with her, her marriage uh, and the way in which she decides to handle it is mm. very much not 2016. Uh, and it's, it's something to be committed in my opinion. Very cool, man. Anxious to see it. Yeah. Well, uh, shall we move on and get to this big time main review? 
Let's do it. Okay. Well, I want to kick this off. First, we're going to say this is a that sh- that this is a show that has full spoilers. So please be aware that we are going to tell you everything about this film as we discuss it. So if you have not seen it, go watch Passengers. You'll enjoy it probably. Come back, listen to the show. Or cue us up and then when it comes out, rent it and then listen to the show. But don't continue on if you uh, want your viewing experience to be intact. Now, before we talk about our initial reactions, Patrick, this particular movie has quite a bit of history behind it that I would like to discuss. Go for it. So apparently this script has been floating around Hollywood since about 2007. So almost 10 years. It originally was a sci-fi spec script by a writer named John Spates. Now the original story was called shadow 19 and it followed an elite soldier on a suicide mission to a hellish planet. Doesn't sound a lot like Passengers. Now, Warner Brothers picked it up at that point. Uh, They got Keanu Reeves, actually, to jump on board with that storyline, which sounds like a very Keanu kind of storyline. I know we'd probably get something like a, whoa, at some point in there. You know, probably so. Uh, (laughs) But he jumped on, and over time, uh, the interest in the film kind of started to fade. So Reeves and the director that was attached, his name was Stephen Hamill. They actually called Spates and they asked him for something more. They said, could this be the starting point of the story instead of like the entire plot? And right there on that phone call, Spates created the story that we now have as passengers of uh, a man on a spaceship colony ship traveling to a colony world waking up too early in hyper from hypersleep and trying to figure out what happens so after that phone call the script got rewritten and then continued to bounce around for several years it eventually had reese witherspoon attached to it to play the the leading female later it had rachel mcadams and keanu reeves together as the pairing Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Still didn't get made. Just they just couldn't couldn't green light it for some reason. Never did get the guts to do it. So after seven years, Keanu had just come off of filming John Wick and his success with that film as an indie kind of hit for him in an action arena. And so he dropped. He had championed this script for seven years. He stuck to it. It's a really interesting tale because then, you know, he gives up. And that's when WB went out and they got Martin Tildum, who was the director of The Imitation Game uh, a couple years ago, I believe. And then they got Pratt and Lawrence on board. They called Spates, got him to come back and make sure he would write the script. Um, His success, he had recently penned Prometheus, one of the uh, alien prequels, and it made tons and tons of money at the box office. Uh, Really, really good movie. And because of that, they were able to finally get the movie made that we are talking about today. That is one history lesson right there. That is one big, that's crazy. That's some craziness right there. It really is. And, you know, not every movie has that kind of story. And I I was a little shocked when I I read it at first because 
it just shows you this inside look at Hollywood and how these movies don't just exist in a very short timeline. You know, the movies that we're seeing today weren't even necessarily filmed last year. Sometimes, you know, these films have been in production for three or four years before they ever come out (laughs) and hit an audience's eyes. Um, And they've been worked on for, as we see, potentially up to a decade before finally getting out into theaters. And it's just, it's kind of an amazing thing to see in action. Um, And frankly, you know, kind of envision what this film would have been. What would it have been like with Keanu and Rachel McAdams versus, you know, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, or what if it had Reese Witherspoon and how would they have done in that role? And, you know, kind of consider those things because at one point that's who it was going to be. But yeah, it's just, it's pretty intriguing. So, you know, there's the history. Uh, and with that out of the way, let's uh, get right to it. What did you think about Passengers, Patrick? Well, this was a movie that um, I saw with my wife. And that's a rare thing. And not that she doesn't like going to movies, but, she, you know, she's not on a podcast every week. And so there are just a lot of movies that she's not really interested in. And so to give you guys a little bit of inside baseball, she, uh, uh, you know, we, you and I, we've been planning, you know, the next several months of what we're going to see in the theaters and whatnot. And so I sent her this massive list of like, here are the movies we're going to cover. This is the date we're going to cover them. So, you know, when we have to actually go see them. And, um, so she had this one on her list. It's like one of like three that, uh, that we have coming up that she had on, on the list. So we went to go see it and I walked out of the theater and I said, babe, what'd you think? She goes, I loved it. And I said, I think I did too. <laughs> I want to see it again, I think. And, you know, we're talking about it on the way to pick up our son and even on the way home. And this is a, you know, it, it, I love going to movies with her because I love getting her perspective on things. I mean, mm-hmm. normally I'm putting my thoughts down and I know you have a lot of experience with, you know, get, you know, when you take your kids to go see a movie, it's great to get their perspective. And so when I get to talk about this, you know, movies like this with her, it's a big deal because we don't usually talk about movies. And so when something affects her, like for instance, she loved Rogue One. And I said, well, why'd you love Rogue One? Uh, and she goes, because I saw the whole thing and you didn't. But I'm bunch because I fell asleep. I remember some of it. But um, so as we're talking through this, the more I was talking to her about it and the things that she enjoyed about it and the things I enjoyed about it, the more I just kept saying, man, I want to see that again. Because here's something that I, didn't pick up that she saw and here's something that she didn't pick up that I saw and how we, I, I think I want to go back and experience that. And it was just a great movie experience for me. Like I just, I loved, you know, it maybe, maybe my experience was influenced by the fact that I went with her, but I think, you know, at least 50% of it was because I actually enjoyed the movie. Like from the moment that, we see the Avalon in those first couple of minutes coupled with Thomas Newman's score. I was in, I was like you with Assassin's Creed. I was going, well, okay, let me just sit back and enjoy this because I feel like I'm in for something good. And when you, when you hit that moment of a movie, uh, in the movie experience, it's almost like something would have to seriously be a buzzkill to, to taint that movie experience. And so I felt like I, from those first couple of moments, I was, I had good expectations going in from there and my expectations were met, man. 
in some ways they were exceeded in some ways they weren't but for the most part man it's it's one that i definitely want to see again uh not because of any kind of like deep sci-fi sociological nuance but because it's just a good movie a good movie to see again because you enjoyed it i right on is what i got to say about that i had a very similar experience to this one actually went and saw it with a friend of mine who um, I've been trying to get to go to more movies with me. And so it's been a fun experience uh, seeing the films with him. It's interesting. We, we went to Magnificent Seven earlier this year together. And so it's almost like maybe we're just going to do all the Chris Pratt movies now. Um, but, you know, that one was different. <laughs> we came out of that one and, and he's not a big Western fan, um, but he would lo- he loved it. And, of course, I was pretty not – a fan of uh, pretty much not a fan of the Magnificent seven remake. So I didn't really get to have that fun conversations with him about how much we both came out of it, enjoying it. But this one was a little bit different. I, I went into it with such low expectations. Uh, and as we talked about, you know, in the intro to this episode that can influence everything about your viewing experience. It can change everything. It's, it's almost like endorphins that you don't have control over just changing your body chemistry (laughs) and the way that you see a picture through a lens is altered because of what you're going to, what you expect you're going to see. Now this film was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I love sci-fi. I love Chris Pratt. I thought the story was a great hook. It was one of the few that I maintained uh, myself and did not watch any trailers for despite certain groups I'm in posting it literally almost daily for a month. Um, I, I withheld and I, and I didn't give in and I heard it several times and I thought to myself that this is going to be a story about some sort of thrilling, you know, uh, I don't know what, this, I don't know what the word would be, but it, it's going to be a rope dope. There's going to be some kind of unknown cause for them and when and why they woke up because the tagline was uh to this movie was there's a reason they woke up well i'm thinking you're telling me there's a reason they woke up so (laughs) my expectation is that something bad happened like something someone intentionally woke them up that's where my brain went and i feel like the marketing led us down that path as well now for this movie, that may have not worked out when you look at the box office hall and the, the critical reviews, but that's what happened, and so I went in expecting that story, and then, nope, I get Titanic in space, I get a romance, I get a character drama about what it's like to be a human and, and need companionship, and uh, and like you, man, from that opening scene, I was just gripped. When I saw the Avalon for the first time, my jaw opened and I just let out a very whispered wow because that was one of the coolest looking spaceships I have ever seen. And you just don't get that anymore. Usually it's very generic. It's very hard to break out. There's so much sci-fi that has been created to, to give us a unique design. But man, everything worked in that opening sequence from it being introduced to the Avalon and seeing it go through the asteroid field all the way up until Chris Pratt wakes up. That first part was exceptional. And I was hooked. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the tagline 
I think we were meant to wake up. And you didn't see the trailers. But your experience with it and my experience with it were the exact same thing. Like I expected something that I didn't get. Like I expected a thriller and I got a romance. And I I I told my wife, I said, there was a line that I remember hearing in the trailer that I don't think was said in the movie. And I went back and I watched the trailer. And sure enough, he says, I think we were meant to wake up. He also said something like, there's something I have to tell you. And then right bef- right after that is that line. None of the, Neither of those lines were in the film. In the finished cut, I said, did you remember that line? Because I didn't remember hearing that. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> What's going on here? And then I thought to myself, okay, let me take a step back. Did that lessen my movie experience? No, it didn't. And I think about, again, the book that I've been reading and how I expected one thing and I'm getting something else. And for me, the story that I got was not the story that I expected. And it clearly was not the story that was, you know, marketed to me because I believe that, and I, I don't know how much influence the director or the writers have in the terms of the marketing of the trailers. I don't think they have much, but, um, clearly what they were going for was not what was in the film. And at, because the story for me worked so well, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care the fact that this was not a thriller because the emotional impact that it had on me and the way that I was in, you know, gripped in it completely negated that. It completely canceled that out because my emotions were now bound to these two characters and the, the, the social ethical questions that were being asked within them along with their genuine romantic relationship and the questions that went along with that and some of the other questions that, that came up even after watching the movie. Um, and so for me, that's where the real value came from. That's where the real great movie experience came from was not that my expectations differed or that they were completely off, <laughs> but that they were, they were altered in a really, really good way. And, and, and that's what I loved about it. One of the things I really enjoyed about the experience. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Um, surprisingly, but it, it does concern me because like you said, there's that line and I, I believe it's, I actually went back and looked at, I watched the trailers as well after watching the film cause I hadn't seen them before and I wanted to, to see the, the way the sequence went. And I believe the line is he, he looks at her and I think it's near the pods. They're standing near the pods and he says, I think mm-hmm. there, I think there's a reason we woke up early and obviously there's not <laughs> there. I mean, there is a reason, but it's, it's his own reason. Um, no, no, well, well, hold on. I no. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with you there because the fact is when we get to the end of the film, had they not woken up, they wouldn't have been able to stop the reactor and those people would have died. There was a reason that all three of those guys woke up. I mean, well, yes, there, I mean the impact of, of, of them waking up, Yes, her waking up was his fault, but what she did and everything, that's <laughs> that's what I'm saying is there was there there was a reason they woke up. They were meant to wake up. Wait, so so are you are you are you saying that you think that the Avalon woke up Chris Pratt because he was a Oh my gosh. You know what? I've never Hold on, hold on. I'm I'm in I'm processing. This doesn't happen often, but I'm, <laughs> So, I don't know if that's what you're saying right now. 
but I'm thinking this through quickly. So the ship is very sentient as far as its programming goes. I mean, it is Mm -hmm. super advanced. It is able to do all kinds of stuff, including not give you the mocha cappuccino that you want unless you're a gold customer. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) it can be very stingy. But we we know that this ship can do things way beyond what any kind of AI we've seen. And as, as, as it was mentioned so many times, things like this do not happen. Things like this do not the, happen. This cannot happen. Things don't happen. break. They this cannot, cannot happen. It's fail-safe. It's foolproof. And so he wakes up, and he's a mechanic, and the ship knows it needs to be fixed, and that there's no other way to fix it. Wow. This is, this is oh, what my I'm gosh. Okay. This is what I'm saying. Hold on. You keep talking because I got okay. my mind's <laughs> exploding right now. So I'm I'm looking at this and I'm I'm thinking about the absence of that line. I'm going, not really, why was that line <laughs> why less about why was the line omitted from the movie, but why was it included in the trailer? And I think it was the last line of the trailer. And I'm thinking about that that's the last thing you remember about the trailer. And I'm going, why is that so important? Well, because without really like being heavy handed about it, there was a reason. There was a reason that he woke up and there was a reason that she woke up and there was a reason that Lawrence Fishburne's character woke up. Um, you know, he was never able to get into the crew quarters without Lawrence Fishburne. He had to have the wristband. He had to have the wristband. He had to have the wristband to be able to do these things. And that, you know, (laughs) this gosh, there's a big theme of like, and he had to have a reason. Yes. Which is what she is. Exactly. Oh, stop it. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. How did I not catch that? I mean, that is the most subtle thing. I, did you read this somewhere? Or did you actually? No. You read it like this in the movie. Wow. I don't know how I missed that. So hopefully everybody listening is not going, wow, Aaron, what's wrong with you? We saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> but um, I, I definitely did not even consider that as an option. I, and I and I, I would say that's partial or largely because the movie does not ever push you in that direction, which now that I'm catching on – I think is awesome because I don't like heavy handedness. I like subtlety and I like the idea of having to figure these things out for myself. So I appreciate you figuring this out for myself. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, podcast here, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm really thrown off right now because that just vaulted this movie into a new stratosphere for me and I need to go see it again immediately. So let's just, <laughs> let's push pause and I'm going to go to the theater and we will resume <laughs> a little bit later. No. Um, so anyway, but just to – okay, let me get back to where I was at for a second. And that was just the idea that the marketing doesn't in a heavy-handed way or in an obvious way meet the what the film gives you. Mm-hmm. It definitely has hurt this movie because it is not getting critical reception uh, in a positive manner. The public response has been a little bit higher, but it's 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 very mediocre. It's it's very much in the you know two and a half to three out of five star range for the most part. People are saying, "Eh, it was good, but it wasn't great." <laughs> you know that's that's pretty much the response you get from almost everyone. So it's an interesting line that they have to walk uh, yeah. when it comes to distributing a film uh, of this type, and and how much do you give away? How much do you not give away? What do you show and what are you trying to, you know, what are you, what, what are you trying to have your audience expect versus yeah. what you know you're going to eventually give them? 
Um, and I, so I don't know if it was good or bad, but, um, I, I enjoyed it regardless of it, not meeting what I thought it was going to be going into it. Yeah, I did too. And I, you, you said it best that it's a fine line that trailers or movies have to walk because I know that a lot of movies, or at least maybe it was last year, maybe it's just because we've been, you know, because of what we do here, we, we've been more inundated with reading articles about movies, but there seems to be a big influx in movies spoiling or trailers spoiling movies. And that's a big criticism. Like, Hey, don't show me so much. And if you go back to the, you know, this is definitely in that same arena. It didn't show as much. In fact, it showed us something that maybe we got a completely different interpretation of what the movie was going to be. And so you run that risk of showing things, editing certain things in certain ways, clipping dialogue here and there. And, uh, and it's definitely a, a, a fine line and one that I think there's an art to making trailers equally as much as there's an art to making film. In fact, I think there's an article that I remember clipping several years ago from Wired Magazine about the art of the trailer and how these companies that get hired to do so, they have to be very careful about not giving too much away, but also telling their own story because that's what you're doing. You're telling a story. You're saying, how can I tell the story without giving away so much to get the audience intrigued. That's why they're called teasers. You know, that's why we get those initial, you know, five to 10 second teasers for movies before they come out months and months and months ahead of time. Um, there's an art to it. And I don't know that I'd want that job because <laughs> I mean, I don't think people are blaming the trailer people when a movie's bad or something, but I don't know that I'd want that kind of pressure. No, I, I wouldn't want that kind of pressure. I definitely. So, I let's talk about for a minute the what the movie does put in our face <laughs> as opposed to what the underlying reasons for them waking up are and um, ultimately leading to the goal of trying to get the ship fixed so it can keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, this film ends up being a morality play, which is one of my absolute favorite things in all of movies and stories is to watch things play out where characters are living in a gray area because I feel like that's real life. I don't think most people are black or white. I think most people live in the gray and they deal with gray decisions on a constant basis. And so what Jim has to do in deciding whether or not to wake up Aurora or anybody for that matter, um, is he going to accept being alone Um, that's the story that we really get here. You know, we get the romance and everything, but everything stems from the idea of would you do this or would you not do this? Would you make Jim's choice? And so I I pose that question to you and what your thoughts are on Jim's ultimate decision to wake her up in the first place uh, and her decision to stay awake with him at the end versus letting him put her in the pod and to go back to sleep. Uh, you know, first of all, how do you feel about someone making that choice for another human being? It's definitely a, a difficult one because there's this innate need that I believe we all have for companionship, whether that exists 
on a romantic level, whether it exists on a platonic level. One of the things that I found interesting when I was in Kenya was I was showing some of the locals pictures of my family. And of course, I had pictures of my pets because, you know, who doesn't have pictures of their cats and dogs, right? If you don't, well, I guess I'm the weirdo. But um, I I showed a picture of Savvy, our, our new dog, to one of the Kenyans. And they said, you have a dog? And I said, yeah. And they said, like a family member? <laughs> I said, well, yeah. And it was so bizarre to them. Because, you know, Africans, Kenyans, whatever, they don't keep pets. It's not, you know, in, in, when you're in the bush and when you're in these local villages, you know, dogs are these roaming animals that, that eat other predators, you know, and keep the, you know, keep the other bad animals away and whatnot. These are not like pets. They're not things that you keep in the house and you feed expensive food and you give chew toys to. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not reducing Pratt's desire to have a pet, you know, I'm not reducing it to that, but I'm saying that companionship exists on a multitude of levels. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, when I'm, when I'm watching his character develop and I, I see him go through a year's worth of just entertaining himself in Chris Pratt ways, um, you know, Jim is a guy just like all of us who needs the company of someone that's going to differ in their opinion, that's going to differ in their tone, that's not going to be a yes man like um, like our uh, our bar bartender friend. And I think that the decision he makes is a decision that we would all make in this desire not to be alone, not just that, but to also just to be with someone and to have another voice in our lives, one that gives us completion um my wife she she (laughs) she she called back to um, a passage from genesis where you know moses was writing the words of god and he said it's not good for a man to be alone and so you know god creates eve uh for adam and so she made that kind of connection to it and i and i think in a way i don't i don't i don't think i don't think it was you know, an apples to apples compared. Oh, that's a bad way to say apples to apples. Never mind. Sorry. I totally <laughs> thought you were doing that on purpose. <laughs> Sorry, no pun intended. I don't. I wouldn't call it a complete, like, parallel comparison. But I think there's definitely something there, in that the need for somebody, a need to be complete, um, is something that we all battle. Uh, for us to all be alone, I think it's. Um, I think the bigger theme here is the fact that. We need each other, not just in a two-person sense, but in an all-person sense. Um, plays into the theme of what I believe the Avalon did in waking up Jim. The Avalon needed Jim, <laughs> and Jim needed the Avalon to survive. You know, he also needed Aurora. And uh, so, for me, as a way to kind of get around to that question, it would be hard, but I think I would make that same choice Jim did. I, I think I would make the same choice too. And that doesn't mean I think that it's right. Um, <laughs> I just think that you're right. I believe that the the need, the the way that we are created, uh, and, and and we are made in a way that requires that. Um, that I I believe that it would overtake me to the point that I would make that decision as well, regardless of 
knowing full well what the outcomes were. And at one point, and I love this, I love this in the screenplay and the writing. I love that she goes to this point and Jennifer Lawrence's character, Aurora says, it's murder. You have committed me to death, to a death Mm -hmm. or to a life that I have no choice over. Um, and in a, in a, in a big way it is. And so, you know, you think about that. If you were on a stranded on, on this spaceship, would you, would you commit your spouse to this mm. without their yeah. decision? Um, or you know, what about kids? So what if you have kids in the mix? Then do you, do you just ride it out and let your spouse stay with the kids? Or do you take the spouse mm. away from the kids so that you can have that companionship? And it's, it's this huge, heavy, heavy, heavy thing to think about. And so it's, it's handled here in a way that I really enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. I like seeing Jim struggle with it for quite a while. I like seeing him almost do it and then not do it. And, you know, he knows, he knows it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That scene right after he wakes her up and going back to his suite mm-hmm. and just almost crying himself to sleep. I mean, that was very, very gut wrenching for me to go that he was experiencing this duality of saying, I did it because I needed to, but I know it's wrong. I'm and, so, I am so happy to have this, but at the cost of what I, you know, did, mm-hmm. you know, what it yeah. does for her. Well, and this movie also plays with the idea of the value of life in general, you know, and I, one of the things I, I, I really enjoyed about, um, Jennifer Lawrence's character was Aurora fighting with herself about how she's going to leave her mark as a writer. You know, she's living in the shadow of her dad and she's trying to write these stories. I remember at one point, I think she says something like, I felt like my dad could tell good stories because he lived a life that was worthy of telling stories and I don't have that. And later on, she's talking about the fact that this blew me away. I love this idea of, she said that she was going to leave earth (laughs) 120 years later, arrive on Homestead Two, live there for a year, write about her experiences and then go back to earth another 120 years later and tell that story. And he asks, well, you know, don't you think it, you know, will it bother you that nobody that you've written about is going to read about what you, you know? Right. Um, and and he, she's like, and then he, go ahead. He, he says, but he's going to read it. Right. <laughs> Even though he'll be dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, her value in being a writer and her validation from that and the impact that she's having, that's something that I think she deals with throughout the film. And it, it plays into that. Um, even like, even for him, you know, he says his reason for going to Homestead too, is that he feels like everything on earth that is broken, doesn't get fixed. It gets replaced. And so he's a mechanic, he's a, he's a fixer. And so he figures he can start over and, you know, build a house and be valuable again. So his role and his value has, will potentially change when he reaches Homestead too. Little did he know, little did she know that her story of them and his experience on the Avalon of saving 3,000, 5,000, 5,000, 5,000, yeah, 5,000, yeah, 5, um, people and like 250 crew, um, that was going to be their purpose. So this film plays a lot with that idea too, of what does it mean to have a valuable life? Um, and that plays into, you know, how he wakes her up and, you know, does he value his life enough to say, it's worth sacrificing somebody else's, which is, I mean, it's a crappy way to look at something. 
but it's still, I think it's still very thematically um, parallel to what's going on in the movie. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, another thing that it does is we talked about how it's a romance and unexpected romance and love story. And so I wanted to get your opinion on this or your take on how that is handled because my question is, is falling in love or falling into romance influenced by a lack of options, so to speak? Hmm. You know, is there a scenario where Jim and Aurora spend their lives together alone and never become romantically involved? Mm -hmm. Or is their coming together more a direct result of the fact that they need companionship and ultimately the man and the woman are drawn to each other in a way that it becomes romantic. I, I wondered what you thought about that. <laughs> or, <did> well, you? <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to call back to Aurora again because she being a wordsmith, being a writer, I love that she calls the relationship an accidental happiness. Yeah. And I think that's what it is that it's even after the reveal to her that he woke her up. I still think that's true since she ended up being happy with him. And sometimes true, they didn't have options. Like she didn't go on some kind of like intergalactic dating service and say, okay, you, you know, or he, or he didn't, I mean, he, yeah, he chose to wake her up. We don't know. We know that he read her writings. We know that uh, we, I don't know if he, she was the first person that he saw and he was just attracted to her or what, but I think for me, I don't, I think even the lack of options doesn't negate the fact that their relationship was genuine because they experienced the things that they fell in love with for were the genuine things. Um, yes, it could have been somebody else, but I could, I could have married anybody else and I chose to marry who I married mm -hmm. and now she's my wife. Nobody else is my wife. Um, my, my pastor once told me the guy that the, the man who married us, he said, he said, um, <laughs> if you're still looking, or he said, I can't remember how he words it, but he basically says, if you think that your that your soulmate is not who you married, you're wrong because it is. Like once you marry that person, that person is your soulmate because you're not, you know, because and what he was doing was basically saying that that marriage is that important. The idea of when you marry somebody, you're choosing that person for life. And I think for Jim, that's what he was doing. He was saying he wasn't just looking for a dating partner or somebody that he could just play cards with or tell really bad jokes to. He was saying, I need somebody and I need somebody forever. Hmm. And so he was choosing her. Um, again, ethically questionable, <laughs> but I don't think it negates their love for each other and the genuineness of that relationship. Um, and does that answer your question? I don't yeah, know no, no, it totally does. So my take is very, very similar. I have long believed that we misunderstand this idea of falling in love. In fact, I don't really enjoy that term because I think that it is false in so many ways. We fall into infatuation um, and many other things, but we don't fall into love. And it's interesting because there's an author named Tom Robbins who writes pretty hilarious books. Um, and he, there's a quote in one of them, one of my favorite books of all time called Still Life with Woodpecker. 
And the quote goes, we waste time looking for the perfect lover instead of creating the perfect love. And Mm. that's how I feel about love going forward. I believe it's a choice. I believe Mm -hmm. you can have an, uh, you know, a a subconscious or uncontrollable desire and draw to another person. But I think the act of love is, is a, is a, it's an action. It's, it's a sacrificial thing. It's a choice to choose that every single day to choose that every minute over and over and over. And so Mm -hmm. I feel very much the same way. I feel like it doesn't matter who he chose. He could have created his love for that person. Now, obviously it has to be mutual. The other person has to do the same thing, you know, Aurora in this case. Um, But I I agree. I think that it's not something that uh, where it's false because they're just the only two people there. And so, they fall in love because they have to No, they still, they make that choice. And, and I think mm-hmm. we see them making that choice over time, uh, you know, through the course of their getting to know each other and exploring the ship and such and so forth. Right. Yeah. I think they fell in love honestly during the moments when they did the dance off. I mean, that's just my, my take. <laughs> oh man. That's so good. So good. Uh, you know, there's such great comedy, you know, anything Chris Pratt is in is going to have a, a level of comedy to it. And he just has this fantastic ability to be toned down comedy. He's very subtle with it sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. And that scene is a perfect example of that. He's like, just, just do it. Like he, I mean, he gives her this like, look, <laughs> like, listen, there is nothing else to do. Just dance. Like, let's go. Um, and I love, I love the one where they're playing basketball and she scores on him and he's like, what, why are you getting so excited about this? Um, there's, there's a lot I love about it. I liked, I like, that's one thing I really love about the whole movie is it's, that it's not bombastic when it comes to their relationship on the ship. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it, it feels like it's just two people hanging out. They go to dinner every day. They, you know, they go to breakfast and they work out. Um, they just go through the motions of what you would think you would kind of have to do to, to live on a ship like that alone Mm -hmm. together. Um, it doesn't go way over the top. And that's, that's part of my problem with the ending, honestly, is that that first two thirds is so tight and character focused that once we get to like the craziness of big explosions and blockbuster movies in space where we're, Mm -hmm. you know, blocking off a fiery furnace with a makeshift shield and some magnet boots and things like that. Like that's, that's where it kind of lost it for me. Um, it lost some, some strength, uh, and some power uh, because it just didn't, I didn't connect with that section as much. Well, it felt very distinctly different Mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like it. I don't think the story was derailed. I think it went from a character study to an action movie fairly quickly uh we didn't get a lot of time to ease into that we didn't i mean we got hints of it with some some of the malfunctions of the ship every once in a while but um it it definitely felt a little abrupt and maybe that was what uh the creative team wanted to do maybe they wanted to create this abruptness because that's kind of what um that's kind of what uh, you know Jim and Aurora felt that sense of abruptness, like, hey, life is now different. 
because there's an explosion and, and now there's somebody else that's awake and we've got problems. So, I mean, I felt that same kind of weirdness, uh, but and for me, it didn't necessarily derail the story. Now, one thing that I came out of it debating with myself was, did I like the choice of the ending? So we end the film with her choosing to stay and to live out her life with him alone on the Avalon versus going back into hypersleep and waking up on the colony planet and going on with her plan of doing the year on the colony and going back to earth. And I see this, I see an, I see an alternate ending possibility here. And I'm just curious what you would have thought. I want to know what you thought of the actual ending. And then I want to know what you think of my alternate ending. Okay. You got that? Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. All right. So my alternate ending is how would things have been different had the morality play continued and really committed to that idea of making the choice for someone else? And that would happen because Jim dies. So Jim is not rescued. Jim floats out into space and dies or goes away or whatever happens to Jim. But he disappears. And Aurora is now alone on the Avalon. And having gone through the experiences that she has just gone through, what does Aurora do? Does Aurora make the choice to wake someone else up? Or does Aurora live it out alone? I think Aurora lives it out alone because she's not a mechanic and she can't wake people up. It's just not possible. <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. And it's it's a cheap way out, though. It, I mean, I get what is. you're saying. I mean, and narratively, you're I, right, though. Narratively, it couldn't have played out like that either because, you know, maybe she's able to get into the med pod and, and put herself to hypersleep. I don't know. But but I, but I, but the point that you're making, I think, is a very good one in that she's now turned from victim to potential uh predator whatever the word is she's now the one that has the ability to make the choice that jim has to make because she understands about that she's being put in that same position yes Um, the word the word here is agency and it's one of my only flaws of the film is i don't feel like aurora gets a lot of agency i don't feel like she gets to make a lot of choices Mm. now she does make one one or two she makes the choice to avoid jim and to stop you know being romantic with him and, and talking to him once she gets butt hurt and throws a really Jennifer Lawrence-y tinter, tipper tantrum. <laughs> it feels, feels, feels just like Katniss, I swear. I swear <laughs> I felt I felt like this was Katniss in that in that tipper tantrum scene. It is it is like a it is like one thing that she I mean she's good at it, but it's that's what it felt like. Um but she doesn't I mean she didn't have control over waking up. She didn't have control over being put into the situation in the first place. And she doesn't have control over the fact that she has to help save the ship because, you know, her life depends on it. And so I feel like that would have potentially given her that agency to make a choice that really, yeah. really mattered. Um, I think that I... wouldn't have been a happy ending, though. But the thing is, I mean, there's that third option of Jim just choosing to, you know, her choosing to go back in the pot and him living his life that's true that's another option and and that was the one i was having a little bit of tension with was when i saw her walk up and say hey it's you know tuesday this is my day with arthur i was kind of let down because 
you <laughs> you wanted I mean a part of me wanted Jim to be able to deal with that and to because but at the same time yes it wouldn't have been a happy ending and I think for me it wouldn't have justified the genuineness of their relationship because at that point she had a choice to go back to sleep and to fulfill the dream that she was going to do as a writer in fact at his at his almost command, like you're going to do this. Um, and I love the fact that she didn't, I love the fact that she made that choice mm-hmm. after having, and I think it, I think it just, it, I think it made her character a lot more rounded that she wasn't the victim at that point. At that point, she was now an equal with him and that she made that choice because she valued the life that they had created more than the life that she had dreamed of having, uh, on, earth homestead two and then back to earth again right on and that is that is absolutely where i was hoping we would get with that because i think it's brilliant that i can walk out of the film considering two to three different potential options for an ending and i can find value and flaws in all of them um i think that that's awesome i think that that's good storytelling because it Mm -hmm. doesn't shoehorn me into there's only one outcome that's possible in this movie or in this tale. And so I agree with you. And we're talking, I was talking about that agency. That's the thing that she does get to do. She gets to choose that love. She gets to make that conscious decision to work at it for all time Mm -hmm. and live it out and just do it and, and, and live in the moment and not worry about the future, what the future could hold or what her dreams might've been. She lets it be in the here and now, and she goes for it. And it's it's awesome because you know, I've watched La La Land now like three times. <laughs> my favorite movie of the year. And it handles this in almost the reverse scenario in a lot of ways um, without giving too much away about the story. it's just It, it handles this same story and kind of treats it a little bit differently. And so watching them back to back, I had a very similar reaction because of the material. I was thinking about the same concepts and ideas of pursuing hopes and dreams versus pursuing the romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I love that we got these movies so close to each other. W- one of the things I want to mention too, before we um, start moving toward our ending here is the use of names in this film was interesting to me. Particularly we have Aurora and Aurora is the name of sleeping beauty who gets woken up. <laughs> with a magical kiss <laughs> um, and serves as, you know, that's the, that's kind of the catalyst to her awakening and her becoming something important for the story. And so I thought mm-hmm. that that was kind of an interestingly, you know, a, a neat choice. And and then we have Chris Pratt who I'm not in love with his name. Um, it's James T. No, it's not James T. Kirk. Um, it's James something. <laughs> and he goes by, Jim, very boring, very generic name. I don't know that I really loved it because I was kind of <laughs> like Aurora and Jim. How's that going to look on a wedding invitation? <laughs> but it makes perfect sense, man. I mean, it's like Jim. He's a mechanic. He is. He's just plain Jane guy, and hmm, his name yeah. fits. Aurora is a writer. I mean, that's a very cool thing. I mean, Jim gets coffee every morning because he doesn't have the gold ticket or whatever it is. She gets like eggs Benedict and strawberries and whatnot. I mean, it's perfect. 
a plain name like Jim versus Aurora. I mean, you can just tell that they live in two different social circles. I mean, her dad's a writer, for goodness sake, a famous writer. What We didn't even know anything about his parents. In fact, I'm, I'm glad we don't know a lot about his backstory. I like the fact that we don't know if he's leaving you know, a family, if he was divorced, if his wife died, if he was married at all, if he has kids, you know, his, his life is what it is right then and what it will be when he gets to Homestead too, or, you know, initially. And I love the fact that his name doesn't have to be something complex because that's not who he is. He's not a complex guy. He's, he's just Jim and that's okay. <laughs> and that's a good thing. It's a valid point. I, I, point taken. I'll, uh, I'll let that one slide. Uh, due to that very good explanation. Sounds like, are, did you talk to this screenwriter or something before this podcast? Do you have inside information? I feel like, I feel like I'm coming at this uh, from a disadvantage. I, I can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> anything at this it's, point. Spates is your best friend. Um, your other we best tweet friend. here and there. <laughs> you know, Tune in next week with our guest host. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> I feel like I can keep going forever and ever and, and we really don't have to, but I, I do want to talk about the chemistry briefly because, you know, this is a two person show for 90% of it. And so if the chemistry doesn't work between these two leads, then it doesn't work at all. The, the mm. film cannot possibly be a success. I personally am not a Jennifer Lawrence fan. I don't love her as a person from what I have heard and have seen from her. She's not someone I am inspired by, or I would, you know, want my kids to look up to. She makes some questionable decisions, um, seems to be immature at times. And so, you know, that influences my love for her as an actress. I just, it just does. I can't separate those completely. However, I respect her talent and I have enjoyed her in certain roles, um, but she's never been a favorite. So I was a little kind of nervous, to be honest with you, about this because I love Chris Pratt. I think we all love Chris Pratt. Who doesn't love Chris Pratt, right? Um, that would be the the 1%. So I was pleasantly surprised. Um, for, I mean, for one thing, you know, not to be completely you know, shallow in nature here, but she looks stunning in this movie. Um, she looks very sophisticated, like you were talking about. She looks like an aurora. She looks fancy. She looks like a, a high-class gold passenger. Um, just the outfits that she, she has, the dresses that she wears, the way she, well, she has her hair. Her bathing suit is just stunningly you know, mm-hmm. unique-looking, things like that. So, I mean, I was attracted to her. I think I was supposed to be attracted to her. I'm sure you know, our female listeners and, and viewers are supposed to be attracted to Chris Pratt, too. Um, like, that's the point. <laughs> but... Um, I really enjoyed both of their their physical chemistry that they showed with their body language. And I'm not talking about sex scenes. I'm talking about, you know, when they're talking to each other, their facial expressions, just the way that they interact. Um, and I, I thought that they did a good job. I thought I bought it is, I guess, the high compliment that I would give. Yeah, I did too. I I was actually surprised at how much screen time early on we get of just Chris himself and not that he couldn't carry scenes on his own but he's never done that before it's always been as part of an ensemble cast it's always been you know he's introduced later in relationship to somebody else at least in the stuff that i've seen him in 
Um, maybe Guardians of the Galaxy is an example is 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 another example of you know him being introduced on his own. But even then, it's always him in relationship to somebody else. And I was really impressed with seeing how he was able. And I don't I didn't look at my watch, but it felt like probably a good forty five minutes of the movie, the first part of the film, was just him. You know, you know, and eventually, you know, we get into um, we get in to his conversations with Arthur. So he gets more conversation. And, but, um, I was equally on the other end impressed with, um, <laughs> I think one of your reviews, your review said it's Chris Pratt. You know, he's definitely Chris Pratt in this. And, <laughs> and my wife walked away saying, you know, I didn't see that completely. And I said, you know, I saw it early on, but I saw more of his dramatic side as the movie went on. And it got, I mean, and it was just as believable. He wasn't being the, goofy Chris Pratty guy the whole time. I mean, when he needed to be dramatic, he was dramatic. And I thought that this film did a fantastic job of, of giving him the space to do both. And I think that he did both well and his chemistry with Jennifer Lawrence. I'm always going to like her chemistry with Bradley Cooper. I think their chemistry is probably a lot like it's in that same pantheon of, of great chemistry. Like, Tom Hanks has with Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. You're going to have these yep. on-screen couples, um, and and I think that Chris Pratt is, you know, at least in this one, gives Bradley Cooper a run for his money. I think that they did really well together. Yeah, yeah, I did too. And I and I loved Arthur. By the way, you just mentioned Arthur. Got to give him a quick props because he was the other main character for most of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, supporting character, but I mean, he was he was a pres- an ongoing presence, and mm-hmm. I thought that his character was well-written. I thought the way he interacted with them was very well done. Um, I love the nuanced way in which he breaks, kind of breaks the story out for her uh, and tells her the things she's not supposed to know because he's very much, he's, he acts very human at times uh, and, and he serves as the bartender, as the confidant. Um, but that shows his AI side where he's taking a literal statement uh, from Chris Pratt and evaluating it you know, using ones and zeros instead of human logic and human emotion and makes that choice that ultimately kind of, you know, lets the cat out of the bag. So I thought he was really well done in this film and, and did a great job. The actor did. Absolutely agree. Arthur was great. So man, um, wow. This has been a good, good conversation. <laughs> I, uh, I feel like there's so much here that I need to, to look for when I go see it again. I, I've, I've gone from probably going to see it again to, I'm definitely going to see it again and I am now probably going to see it again in the theaters uh, very soon because I need to, I need to go watch it with this theory in mind and see if I can poke holes in it or, or if there's anything that, (laughs) that enhances it. Um, I'm just really excited. You've, you've blown my mind (laughs) and I, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But you know, the last thing we usually do is our connecting point where we talk about that, one moment where we most had a resonate resonating or resonance with the film. And for me, I'll start and I will say it actually is a, is a two scener. There is a duality between the two spacewalk scenes with Chris Pratt in this film. The first is where Jim is exploring what he can do on the ship. And he just exhibits this expression of, of mutual sadness 
and terror as he gazes into the deep of space. So he, he steps outside and you can see it all over his face. And this is a moment where Chris Pratt is not Chris Pratty. Um, he's a dramatic actor and he's, he's showing his talent to me at the, in this scene. And I just, I, I really felt for him. I felt chilled. I felt cold. Um, I felt his pain and his, his fear and, and all of those things that he was going through. And so this, this leads him to almost committing suicide, which I really connected with. And, and that sounds awful, but I've, I've understand that feeling. And I've, I've had that feeling before um, where you're just so depressed and you just, you can't see through that fog and you, you, all you can see is the immediate future. And what he sees is space and loneliness. And so it makes sense that he would consider not wanting to live like that. And so I then also can connect with the fact that he pulls himself through it. He's able to push forward. Um, He gets very close to doing it, but realizes, no, I need to try. I need to live. And he goes on. And later, he then is able to have this other spacewalk scene uh, with Aurora by his side where he's showing her how to do it. He's taking her out which is, it's a really fun and and sweet moment. And it's just a completely different tone. So he's pretty much doing the exact same thing. But instead of the fear and the terror and the sadness, there's just this sense of wide-eyed amazement and awe. And and it's like they're taking in space and they're, they're seeing it for the beauty of it instead of the, the potential you know, horror of it. And so I think it's incredible that they can use that same exact moment to convey like completely opposite feelings, which is just, it, 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 there's nothing I thought about more in the movie than those two scenes. When I walked out of it, you stole it from me. Oh, did I? You absolutely (laughs) stole it. (laughs) We had the same one. Yay. That doesn't happen very often, (laughs) but rightly so. I mean, that's those are the exact same thoughts I had was this one moment, uh, that event, that, that particular thing. Um, just, it took (laughs) Chris Pratt or it took Jim, you know, his character and it, it, it put him in two different positions. One where he wanted to die and one where he wanted to live. And the thing that I saw was a sense of, a reminder of how much people need one another um, and, and living in this world uh, in particularly this world on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Avalon with all of its stuff, with all of its entertainment and all the things that it can provide. Um, we it would never replace companionship on any level, friendship or otherwise. And, you know, when he, living in isolation and away from any real communication with someone one with feelings and differences of perspective, it can severely bring into question the value of living. And it makes us wonder, what is the point? Is that really living? Living goes beyond just the basics of survival. It's really about companionship. It's about being with someone or being with a group of people. You know, if I'm, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a heavy theme throughout this whole movie about the value of defining what real life is and what real living is and then you know putting it under the 
the microscope of, you know, is it, is it valuable with someone else? Is it valuable alone? And, um, and those two scenes put a, just a, a great exclamation point on that theme. And, uh, and I really connected with it. You combine that with, with Thomas Newman's score. Oh yeah. Uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the vastness of space and I, and I loved it. I loved it in both of those scenes for their own particular reasons. The cinematographer decided to just linger there mm-hmm. for, for a little bit that there was, there was, there were no words. It was just, you know, it was just Newman's score doing its own thing and that vastness of space. And, uh, it just communicated a lot of emotion. Yeah, it, it really did. And I, I think it's awesome that we, we both had that same moment picked out of those two moments picked out. That's uh, it's pretty special. It's pretty cool. Well, I think that's all, uh, we've got for passengers, but we do, as we mentioned at the beginning of this show, have some announcements to make. So do you want to kick those off and tell people what we've got coming? I would love to, um, to begin 2017, uh, over the next five weeks, we are going to be doing something that we have both been just really excited about, uh, for the last several months. We're going to be taking a break from the theater. That's not the exciting part because we love going to the theater, but we're going to be celebrating one of our favorite directors. Yes. January and at least the first part of February will be Christopher Nolan month. Woo-hoo! <laughs> We've already talked about the prestige back in episode 34. Uh, you can check that out if you haven't yet, but now we're going to be continue to explore his incredible filmography looking at, um, insomnia, which I haven't seen yet, by the way, never. Little, Are you kidding never, me? I've not <gasps> seen that yet. Oh my I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Gracious. I'm wait. I was waiting for Chris Nolan month to, to dive into this. Oh, wow. Uh, we're going to continue with Memento, go into the Dark Knight, um, round it out with Inception, and then finish it off with Interstellar. And uh, we really hope that you guys will enjoy this as much as we will. Uh, we expect you to because Chris Nolan's a great director. Uh, we've had conversations with people in our Facebook group that have expressed their love for him in various ways. Excited about Dunkirk coming up in the, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, so go ahead if you haven't seen these films, try to find them. Um, we'll keep you updated on what episodes coming up and what's, what's coming out. Um, but rewatch them if you've seen them before, so you can be in on the discussion and, uh, to give us all of your thoughts and what, uh, what Chris Nolan's films do for you. Yeah. So. And, and that discussion of course is, is always taking place in the amazing Facebook group that you mentioned. You know, anyone can come and join and talk film and other entertainment with our fellow listeners and uh, movie fans. There is always a link in the show notes to that group. There's a link on the website at feelingfilm.com as well. So it's very easy. Just click the thing, click join, and, and you're there. Uh, you can join in that conversation. We'd love to meet and be able to talk with all of you about movies, uh, your favorites, our favorites, what the show covers. Doesn't really matter. Uh, it all gets covered. Also coming next week, though, Patrick, is a special mini-sode with our 2016 end-of-the-year thoughts. So, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, buddy. This will be an extremely fun episode that you're not going to want to miss. Um, we are not doing this like a traditional top 10 favorite films countdown. Uh, we're going to have some fun categories and unique questions that we're asking of each other and really mix it up and dive into 
more of an emotional focus uh, like we usually do on the show, uh, looking at films from the perspective of what we connected with and not necessarily what we thought was the critically best made. Uh, even, even the tops on our list may not come up because something else had a moment that was important to us. So it's mm. going to be a fun conversation, and I really think that uh, it will be one you're going to want to listen to. So if people want to find you, Patrick, and talk to you about this episode or anything in general, where can they do that online? You can find me on Twitter at ChulessPatch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm also at Facebook.com slash ChulessPatch. Or you can find me uh, or find out more about me on my website at thisispatch.com. Awesome. And you can find me everywhere in the world online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, Twitter, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode, everyone. Uh, we hope that you've gotten something out of it. I'm really, really intrigued to hear the comments from those of you uh, who may have also had your mind blown by Patrick. Um, I would like to know how many of you picked up on the same things he did uh, and how many of you are in my oblivious corner over here of not seeing that play out. Uh, somebody come make me feel better <laughs> about myself um, in the Facebook group or, or on Twitter or somewhere. Um, but that's it for now. Uh, until next time, as always, stay positive And keep feeling film. <laughs>